This video is sponsored by Game Toppers. Turn your own kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution at a fraction of the cost. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Drive Through FM. Uh, today's going to be kind of a follow-up to my Top 50 Games of All Time series, which I've just got done posting over on YouTube. And as the title of this episode implies, we're going to be talking about the top 10 games I will never play again. Uh, so one of the things I got suggested from, from a lot of folks actually was, hey, we know you're not including certain games on your list because you finish them, whether they're a campaign game or a legacy style game that you'll never play again. And so I made a lot of comments about, you know, certain games, which will be on this list that I don't quite want to spoil, but... If you watch my top 50, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. But I got a lot of feedback of like, mostly of like, hey, totally understand that approach and it makes a lot of sense, but I'd still like to kind of know, you know, what your favorite games are out of games that you really did enjoy, but you're never going to return to, basically, is the, the idea there. And so that's what I'm going to be doing here. Uh, and I figured I would kind of stick it into a podcast episode. There's kind of a new thing going on with podcasts these days. Uh, so you'll find this on the normal feed, you know, through any kind of podcast app that you can find the episodes on. But YouTube itself also has what they call a YouTube podcast. So I've already included all the old uh, drive through FM episodes on the new YouTube podcast, and there'll be a link down below here to that playlist because it's effectively just a playlist. But you tag it as a podcast so people can download it and just listen to the audio kind of normally uh, like you would a normal podcast. So I'm just going to be posting podcasts to my old feed as well as the new YouTube podcast feed. So you can find it in either spot. So I just wanted to kind of mention that uh, at first. And then I figured, let me go ahead and review four games uh, in this episode before we jump into the top 10. Uh, I've got I've been playing a lot of games over the last you know couple of weeks because I've been mostly focused on the video side of doing you know the top 50 putting all those together and that kind of stuff and so over that time I've been kind of accruing a backlog of games that, that have been played and will be reviewed so there'll be some upcoming videos here of course over the next couple of weeks for some other games uh, but I figured I'd take a stab at uh, kind of quick reviews of four games that either I didn't care for or I probably won't be getting around to doing a video anytime soon. So I figured I would just talk about them here. So it's not all going to be doom and gloom, <laughs> like sometimes the podcast episodes are. Uh, there, there will be some, uh, you know, some positives coming out of some of this. Uh, so let's just take a quick little break, take a deep little breath here, and then we'll jump into some reviews. And then after that, I'll do my top 10 games I will never play again. Okay, so let's jump into a couple of reviews here, and I'll just kind of work my way up a little bit here. Uh, so the first game I want to talk about is Eleven. This is from Portal Games. Uh, this is a game about managing a football club, or if you're an American citizen, a soccer club. <laughs> um, and what this game is, is largely a card drafting game. So you'll be drafting different players, different staff to work at your soccer club. Uh, you'll be kind of drafting or purchasing different add-ons to your stadium and all that kind of stuff. And so the game is played over multiple rounds, but in each round effectively are days of the week. So you have like a Monday phase, which is like kind of an event phase. It's a quick roll of the dice. And then kind of based on the administrators that you have in your club, they'll kind of make the decision for you about how to sort of react to that event. You get some little bonuses and stuff. And then there's basically three rounds of drafting, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then you'll be drafting all kinds of different various cards uh, to add to your soccer club. So you'll have you know players and other staff members and, like I said, add-ons to the stadiums and so on. And then you have kind of the weekend where you will sort of simulate a soccer match. And you have a, actually like a little field that you'll have little jerseys that you'll position different players and player numbers. And off to the side of the field, you'll have some named players that have some special abilities or you know benefits uh, to what they can do. And you'll set them to be kind of attacking or defensively oriented. And then you will, you will know your opponent kind of going into it and there'll be 
sort of a hint on the back of the card of how that opponent's going to, you know, set up their players and, and their attack formation. And then when you go to play the game, you'll flip that over and resolve that. And then there are points and things like that. So you can move up sort of in the league standings and there's some other ways to score points and stuff like that. And I was mildly excited for this one because I do enjoy sports. So I was kind of hoping this would be more fun than it actually ended up being for me. And the best part of the game, let's start with that, is the soccer match thing. That's kind of a neat little thing. So it's kind of, it's it's sort of like a deduction kind of element there where you, you put the strength of your defense and your offense in different sort of little quadrants of your field based on what you kind of deduce the opponent to do. And then you flip them over and you kind of add up the defensive and attacking values of each thing. And then whoever gets the most... Uh, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but it's not very complicated at all. And then you kind of you score points. So you just kind of work your way into the different sections of the soccer field. And then whoever has the most points uh, will win. And then you, of course, get some like victory points types of things to add to your overall score. And you have other things like fans and, you know, other parts of the stadium that will kind of interact with some of the plays and stuff and then the special abilities of the different staff and administrators and that kind of thing that you you draft now the drafting part of it which is really the main part of the game you're going to take turns doing that so each player is going to kind of choose something and then you know you reveal the next card and then other players can choose other things so it's just like a big drafting game and there's like there's like seven rows of cards that all have different special abilities and text and all that stuff on there so you're really just constantly staring at all those special abilities. And this is going to be indicative of the next game I'm going to talk about too. But it's such like minute, nuanced special abilities that it all kind of just bleeds together and just kind of get, becomes very foggy. And there doesn't really feel like very like monumental. There's no like tension points in that part of it. It's such like a number crunchy you know, overly analyzed sort of part of the game that it just feels like it waters everything else down. And then you got to get to the good part, which everybody does simultaneously, where everybody kind of resolves their different matches. And you set up different, like, strengths of leagues and stuff, so you can set up the difficulty and all that kind of stuff. And then you play through, if I remember, it's like four weeks. And then, you know, you you resolve all your points there. But like I said, the gist of the game the the focal point of the game is that drafting exercise which is just like i said it's just so minute differences between each card and it's like yeah okay so if i kind of go strong in these different sort of resources you know this one will give me plus one of this and plus two of this other and this other card is like the reverse of that it's just it just doesn't really become a very interesting game to play because you're just sort of fiddling around the edges the whole time it feels like and that's really where I think the game kind of falls flat for me and I'd really like it if you know I don't know I'd really want a Monday morning quarterback at any more than that um, but yeah this was a game that I think you might enjoy if you're like a super soccer fan maybe I don't know but to me it was just so much just it felt very like fiddly bookkeeping in a way uh, and then to get to the interesting part, which is over very quickly, the soccer match is like flip the card. And once you kind of get the hang of counting up the defense versus the offense and all that, that can resolve itself in like a minute or so. And everybody's doing that simultaneously. And then you go back to kind of just staring at like this huge set of cards that is just like looking at the opening game of Dominion, but it's always changing. And you have like just tons of different cards and stuff that you can get after. Anyway, so that's 11. So the next game is earth and earth um has the same sort of problem for me but let me explain a little bit about earth and maybe i need some convincing or something because most people i talk to think this thing is like the second coming <laughs> now i've talked to a few other people that are exactly on the same page as me so i don't feel like i'm completely off the rails here but so earth is also one of these things where you in a, in a different sort of way you have like tons of cards with sort of nuanced very sort of incremental differences in special abilities um, that you're going to deal with. So you, you'll be drawing up a bunch of cards um, through different actions, and then you'll be playing them out in like a grid, sort of a tableau, a nine, uh, three by three uh, sort of grid there. And um, 
And so what you're doing there is you're getting those cards, you're paying for them with soil so you can compost cards like discard cards out of your hand or sometimes out of the, the main decks into a compost pile, which will score you points for having those cards there. And then they'll generate soil. You can use the soil to pay to put the cards in your tableau, but you arrange them in a certain way. So as you start to lay them out in front of you, they start to sort of organically take a shape and a form. So on other players' turns, when they choose one of those four actions, you know, whether you're planting cards, composting cards, or drawing cards, that kind of thing, then those are associated with colors and all your cards have colors. So if they pick the green action or the red action, uh, then you will walk through your display of cards going from the upper left-hand corner, working your way down to the bottom left or right, and then activating it, those kind of other abilities um, when they choose that color. And then when if they choose the action, like let's say it's plant two cards and then draw one or whatever it is, everybody else will still get to do kind of a sub-action of that. So if you play like Puerto Rico or Race of the Galaxy, then maybe you draw one card and plant one or something like that. And then it, everybody X activates all the cards associated with the color that's associated with that action and then on the cards you have like the i forget what they're called but you put cubes on some of the cards and you put discs on some of the cards like there's the growth and then there's the other thing i can't remember what the name of it is and those kind of things that you can actually spend as well so you kind of grow the plants and sometimes spend them or you you kind of leave them maxed at their growth because that'll score you extra points and all these kinds of things. So you keep doing that. And there's some other like bonus cards to be the first one to have certain types of plants because there's different types of plant cards and different environments that they grow in and all that kind of stuff. And again, the same as 11, it just feels like it's sort of nuance around the edges that doesn't really feel like dramatic at all. It just, the neat part about this game, I talked about in 11, the neat part is the soccer match. The neat part of this is that whole activation thing where, you know, somebody chooses the green, the red, the whatever action, and then you're kind of walking through your rows and columns of cards, and that's pretty cool. That's a neat sort of concept, but the arrangement of the cards is really the main part of that game because you want to kind of have the cards to, like, okay, so I want to, be, if I'm going to be composting a bunch of cards, I want to get the cards in my display that let me draw a bunch of cards first. And then compost it because the order of that stuff really matters. And that's really where the game is at. But then, so I tried this thing up once and I was like, I, I hate this game. I don't like this game. And everybody's like, oh, you're crazy. So I played it again. And it, 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 it to me, it became even more boring because I was like, oh man, I, I could see the appeal of it because that's a that's kind of a new mechanic, right? Where you're activating your rows and columns like that. That's pretty new. I don't think I've, I feel like I've seen it before, but I don't remember. Uh, but that's neat. I like that part of it. But then when I'm just looking at like, you know, drawing and some kind, sometimes you draw like six cards at once. I'm like, oh, cool. I got a bunch of these cards that do almost the same thing <laughs> as each other. And there's not really much drama there to me at all. And so I was like, oh, well, I mean, I can kind of see why people like this. But to me, it just got become more repetitive the second time I played it. Um, but yeah, so people are raving about this a lot. I've talked to people that are, just think it's absolutely the best. Uh, game that they've played in a long time and uh, a couple of people told me that like, they'll, they don't need to play Arc Nova again which that didn't make sense to me because I've actually been playing a lot of Arc Nova recently as well and um, you know that was in my top 50 and I kind of feel like it's been a while since I played it and I was like oh, man this should be higher in my top 50 <laughs> after having played it some more again I'm like this game, this game is really really good I, and I just you know one of the things about Ark Nova, and it, it does the opposite of what this game does, it does have a lot of different varied cards, but there are certain cards where you're like, oh, this is kind of the linchpin, and I've got to build my tactics and strategy around this and hope that I can do it. And it has a lot of other stuff going on with like the zoo keeping and um, all that sort of spatial aspects. But yeah, I was like, I don't understand this at all, because to me, it's just night and day different games. I don't understand quite the comparison. They're both kind of you know, naturally themed games with photographs for art. Um, uh, yeah, and I, sh I should say I should say with Eleven, it's well presented, and with Earth, it's very well presented. I like the graphic design and the art on both these games, but um, they're very easy to kind of intuit. There's a lot of icons on both, um, but it's it's pretty easy to grok each of them. So, uh, you know, I would expect you to be able to get into playing it easy. But again, yeah, with Earth, it's the same kind of idea. Just you know, you're just like planting these plants and different things. And sometimes you'll play an event that will do something kind of interesting, but 
it just at the end of the day it also felt very much like wingspan and i was one that didn't really like wingspan like it's i like wingspan better than earth i think uh it's been a while since i played wingspan but heck in that same kind of thing where you're sort of activating those columns and rows and things and in the case of wingspan here you're stacking eggs and all that kind of stuff and sort of building up those chain reactions kind of similar to earth but to me I mean, Wingspan felt way more thematic and interesting and the timings and the rhythms of like your your cascading actions was just much more engaging, I thought, with Wingspan. Anyway, all right, so that's Earth. So the next game we're going to talk about, now we're going to kind of make a leap here to games that um, I did enjoy. Now, this next one I'm not actually sure about. I've played it a couple of times now. It's, this is Woodcraft. Uh, this is a Vladimir Suchi game, and I've been really, really liking his games the last several that I've played of him. Uh, this is this is a neat theme. I really like the theme of this game. And basically what it is, you're kind of woodland elves that are crafting all kinds of wood objects, right? And so you're running a mill, and you're crafting like really wacky and fun objects. Just very like complex real world objects that, you know, you wouldn't think a fantasy race of elves would be crafting. You know, like just very look complex looking things like you would see in the real world, like a guitar is the one that's coming to my head and like a really nice guitar you know, that looks like a real, real world guitar. So that's funny, you know, and you use like magic to kind of split the wood and all this stuff. So it's just a really cool theme that kind of I can see why they went that way because it kind of makes up for some of the thematic disconnects, but it doesn't in such a way that's really kind of funny and interesting. So that's really cool. And other than the wacky theme, the main thing that I really like about Woodcraft is the core action selection. So it has this kind of multiple concentric wheel thing, which reminds me of a lot of a game that Vladimir Succi designed a couple of years ago called Praga Kaput Regni. Everybody just calls it Praga. And that had a kind of a funky wheel thing where you would choose sort of a sliver of an action on this big wheel that would turn. And this has something kind of similar. It, I mean, it's a wheel that turns. <laughs> That's about where the similarities start and stop. But you basically, in this case, you actually pull out a sliver that is an action. And that action could be to like draw some bonus cards, to cut some wood, to plant a tree, um, all kinds of things like that. And so you pull that out and you slide it to the next sort of uh, quadrant because the, the the main board that the wheel sits on is divided into four big quadrants. So you slide to the next one. And after a few, then that wheel will actually turn and underneath the wheel, underneath the cardboard are these different bonuses. And there are bonuses on the outside as well. So if you try to pull an action, you might be like, I don't really want to do this action, but it's got some bonuses that'll be really helpful for me to maybe actually make the action desirable or it'll make the next action I do desirable and so on. So that whole like wheel thing is really neat. Um, you know, it, it feels like a Zulkin kind of vibe, uh, like I said, a Praga kind of vibe there. So that's a really cool kind of aspect. And then what you're doing is again, trying to build like these cool wooden objects, but then you can get these extra helpers, uh, that you can trigger on certain actions. You can get like upgraded, uh, sort of machinery to help you split the wood better. And all of this kind of driven with these dice. So you're the wood that you actually, uh, own or that you have capable to spend is represented by different colored dice. So there's different colored wood, so to speak. So you have yellow, green, red dice and brown dice. And then some of that is more rare or more expensive. And when you plant it, you know, let's say I plant a brown dice as a one and then every turn that it, that dice is going to increment. And sometimes you can just buy like dice out of like a general supply that are already rolled up at the beginning, uh, you know, and you can just buy the exact number that you need. And so you can get different special abilities to split those dice into multiple other dice and all these kinds of things, or even like, you know, add in shavings to bump up the dice number and all kinds of cool little dice manipulation things. So that part's also really cool. Uh, but this one is very strange. I, I played it uh, with with people and I played it solo. Uh, I didn't really like solo at all. And then with people, I just wasn't really sure. Like it's, it's neat. Like I would actually recommend people give it a try because I'm not really sure how I feel about it. I know I don't love it. Like, it's it's neat. It's just a neat kind of cool thing. I like the dice thing. I like the little wheel turning thing. The theme is really wacky and funky. But when I'm done, I didn't really like... It's not like his other games. 
you know, like I really like underwater cities. I like last will. I like Praga. Um, I think I'm forgetting some others that I've enjoyed of his, but you know, those are ones that when I walk away from, I feel like very satisfied and fulfilled in in a way that I feel like I've, you know, thematically done something and that kind of stuff. This feels like, I don't know how to say this right, but it feels like he designed a Feld game, you know, where it was just a bunch of different ways to get points and just convert resources into other things. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not saying that as like a knock against Stefan Feld or anything, um, but it just felt like that. And then that was it, you know, because there's other Feld games that they feel like that and that's it. But there's other Feld games that feel like that. Plus, it's really fun and I love it, you know. <laughs> um, this felt like just that. It was just like, yeah, I just feel like I'm just turning stuff into stuff. You know, without really feeling any kind of, you know, story event or anything kind of happen. But it's good. It's like it's solid. You know, it's it's fun. It, it, the mechanics are fun. It's just, I don't know how I feel about it. So, anyway, that's that's Woodcraft. I would recommend you try it. I wouldn't rush out and buy it, you know, in my opinion. But I would, if you've got a buddy or something, I would give it a shot because you may absolutely love it. Uh, I talked to some other people my, you know, that I played this with. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. It's this kind of fun. But it's not like, you know doesn't make me really want to play it again. So, anyway, that's Woodcraft. Let's see, now the last game, I think I only played it once. And I don't know that I'm going to get around to ever reviewing it, so I thought I'd just mention here. And I would like to play it some more. And if I do get a chance to, then you might see a review. That's a couple of years old. This is Anno 1800. That's a Martin Wallace game. And it's based on a video game, which I've now... Uh, looked at and I'm interested in trying the video game because it looks nothing like the board game but it looks like a kind of cool game and I had not familiar with the Anno series at all of video games apparently it's a series of great games that a lot of people love uh, now Anno 18, 1800 is kind of like you know industrial revolution kind of thing which is typical Martin Wallace theming and you have these cards that you can play well let's say you get dealt a bunch of cards <laughs> And you're trying to play them all and basically empty your hand. So kind of like a more traditional 52 deck card game, like, you know, I don't know, heart spades, go fish, rummy, that kind of stuff. You're trying to dump your hand out. And if you can get the cards played, the cards will score your points at the end of the game. But what actually kind of happens, you have your own little board of these like different sort of factories and stuff of different colors that you can run in, in, develop things and get resources things out and, and stuff like that out of but those are you will get from a main board which has so many different buildings and resource generating things and factories and all this stuff so if you think of like caverna where there's like a just a ton of buildings everywhere and 1800 is like that there's just like 30 buildings out there and within that sort of maze of those buildings is kind of like a tech tree so as you were sort of going up and then, and, you know, purchasing those buildings with different resources and putting them on your own display, like your own little island, um, that will sort of unlock the ability to get the next one because certain buildings are tied to certain resources, which are from buildings that are kind of like earlier on in the different stages. And so that can be, I think that could be sort of off-putting to people. And it was kind of for me the first time, well, the only time I played it, but it's like the first beginning part. But once you kind of see sort of the thread that you can draw, from some of the early buildings all the way up to these advanced buildings where you end up building like these big ships and you build these big like uh, merchant style, style ships and then some big warships and that kind of thing. And then you, which you can then use those to kind of convert through some, through some different mechanisms into getting a lot of points. Um, once you kind of see that, it becomes really interesting. And the other really cool part about it is you can get these like trading uh, tokens through different mechanisms you start the game off i think you start with like one or two i think it's one and when you use that you can spend that to activate somebody else's building that they have built so by the fact of like let's say billy has built the butcher or whatever it's called okay now everybody has access to that it's going to cost us to use billy's building a little bit more because we got to make sure we have a way of manufacturing those trade tokens and some of the other buildings and effects and cards and stuff that you get is a way to get that. So you kind of have an engine to develop that. And you also want an engine to develop just the basic resources yourself. And you also kind of want to build buildings that other people will use, uh, because then you'll get, uh, coins as a benefit, you know, some currency out of that. So there's a real good kind of interaction there between all the players. 
And one thing that I thought was very interesting is like, that is one thing that most civilization games completely ignore. And this is really a civilization game, but only for a very short period of time, you know, basically the 1800s, the start of the industrial revolution. And that's the one thing that they sort of miss out on is the whole like, okay, you've developed a technology. Great. You should get the most benefit out of it because you were the ones that, you know, were first to market, so to speak. But other people don't all of a sudden like get locked out of that technology. And that's one of my gripes with like through the ages. I don't remember what the cards are, but you know, like if somebody gets like the iron mine and the other one gets the copper mine or whatever, it's like, oh, I never will get the iron mine. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Of course I'm going to learn from their technology. And that's just not, that's not just a through the ages thing. That's a thing in a lot of games. It's like, why do you all of a sudden get exclusive rights to this thing that obviously I would learn and understand after you've developed it, you know, like knowledge spreads it just does and i like that anno 1800 has that sort of thing where again you can spread that out that's just really cool and i'd love to see uh this concept and in kind of the same way that it's done in anno 1800 spread out to like a larger civilization game it'd be really cool and i really like that aspect of the game and it's got just a lot of cool little interesting mechanics and stuff and ways to like expand your little island your little player board and all these things so this is one i really want to do want to play again and i want to you know check it out some more it's a couple of years old um i think it was on some best of lists let me think so we're in 2023 i think this is a 2021 game uh, i don't think it came out last year but maybe it's a 2022 game um but i remember people talking about it and you know i didn't get too excited about it because it's a wallace game which would get me excited of course but then I looked at it and it was like, eh, it's a bunch of tiles, you know, like, what is this? You know, it's, how is this going to be cool? But I, I think it's good. This one I would recommend. I mean, I may end up just picking it up myself, but, um, uh, yeah, I would recommend Anno 1800. It was really, really cool. Lots of very interesting things that I've not seen done quite in this way, uh, with that game. Okay. So that is the four reviews for today's episode. And so we'll take a little bit more of a break here. And then we will jump into the top 10 games I will never play again. Okay, so welcome back from that little bit of a break there. We're going to jump into my top 10 games I will never play again. Uh, just a little bit of a preamble before we get started. Uh, in case you didn't watch my top 50 uh, games of all time. Uh, there was a couple of games that I mentioned on that list, and some of those will show up here, where I said, yeah, this would probably be in my top 100, or maybe it would even be, you know, very high in my top 100, you know, in my top 10 or something. But the fact stands is that I really enjoyed the experience I had with them, but I'm just, I just not, I don't have a desire to play them again. And I'll kind of talk a little bit about that as we go through each game. Because uh, it's going to vary differently. Like, n not all of these are going to be, like, legacy games, which I think everybody, you know, maybe who did watch my top 50 will go, well, we know what one of them is. Well, yeah, <laughs> that'll be the number one game. But some of these others are not necessarily campaign games, although there's a few in here. And, um, you know, and so the reason I will not play them again is going gonna, is gonna to vary. And some of these I might actually play again, and I, but I don't think that I will. I don't really have a desire that I will. So we'll get into it with them. So we'll start with the first one here. Uh, we'll call this the number 10. The order's a little bit iffy. The top couple are definitely like the strong ones, but um, the rest of them, the order doesn't really, I just kind of randomized <laughs> the order on some of these. Uh, so anyway, the number 10 is Fog of Love. Uh, now this is not a campaign game. This is basically a two player game that you play with you and a partner and the game simulates kind of a romantic partnership. And you can play this. You don't have to play this with like a real life romantic partner, although it, it works great. I mean, I played with my wife, I don't know how many times, five or six times. And you can also play it with just a friend or you can even play it with a stranger, although that would be, that would be interesting. I don't know. And so you will kind of get assigned different roles. There's like different scenarios. And so what happens is maybe you are let's say, let's just take a male-female relationship. You're like a jock as a, as a guy and kind of a, 
an airhead and maybe you'll be you know dating somebody that's a very conservative you know christian type of person let's say a very religious person anyway and then you through the course of some cards and different plays uh, you'll be trying to work the relationship to move your kind of hidden secret goals into a certain direction and also kind of the relationship goals. So those get kind of set up by the scenario cards and stuff like that. And there's definitely some like role playing and things like that involved. Uh, this is, a, this is an experience I would 100% recommend. Um, I might play this again. I don't know that I'm not excited to play it again. Right. I know that I know the title says never, but never say never. <laughs> And, you know, but I've kind of been there, done that with that. And the thing is, is like, even though when we have, we'd have played it, you know, we would do different roles per se, you still can't quite get away from yourself. Um, so after a while, after, you know, five or six plays, it kind of becomes a similar experience from the last. It's still just the two of you talking about sort of, your perspective on these scenarios that you're put in, which is really interesting. So it kind of, it in effect gives you, it takes you out of kind of your day-to-day -day routine of who you are as a person, puts you in the shoes of these other people that you're sort of creating as you go. And the game is kind of generating procedurally some other stuff that you are interact with. And through kind of how you imagine their behavior to be and how you end up portraying it, it kind of indicates what your sort of opinion on that kind of person ends up being right because you could really lean into the worst aspects of what you imagine that stereotype to be or vice versa right um so after you do that a few times there's not really much more there there um but i don't know if you shifted partners with the game you know you swapped who you played it with maybe it would react a little bit different i, I, I expect it would um but yeah so it's this is not something well, it's not something I really look forward to playing with anybody else. That's eh, maybe, I don't know. Um, but you know, so, and that's what I'm saying is like, this is a great game that I think you can play a few times. I don't think it's got much more to it than that. This is not a game. I don't think you could, that I could really play like for years on end and keep coming back to, I just don't, it just doesn't have it there for me, but I definitely recommend folks try it and play it. Um, you don't necessarily have to play it with, you know, like a partner and that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and it, just to be clear, this is not like a opposite sex only thing. You could do this same sex and all that kind of stuff too. Um, you know, any, any kind of w which way you want to mix it up, the game is amenable to, uh, to doing that as well. Um, so yeah, so yeah, it, it's definitely open-ended in that sense. So I think it's, you know, in, in a sense, welcoming to any kind of experience that you kind of want to inject into it as well. So anyway, I definitely recommend Fog of Love. It's, it's certainly a one-of-a-kind type of, you know, <laughs> board game experience. It's a little bit more of a role-playing game, actually. Okay, so the number nine, the next one is going to be Mechs versus Minions. So this kind of come out from Riot Games. And I have played through the whole campaign. It's an excellent co-op game. Uh, it's one of those kind of co-op puzzles. And if I recall correctly, there's 12, maybe 10. I can't remember exactly. There's 10 or 12 like scenarios that you play through. And you, it's very much like a uh, tower defense kind of idea where you, you have your mechs and then the minions are kind of encroaching and doing different actions with different scenarios. And you can kind of tweak the difficulty a little bit. It's a great production and had quite the splash um, several years ago, probably four, four or five years ago. And it was very unique because it was one of those games that was developed by a video game publisher, which we've seen more of recently, and put out and, you know, uh, come out to great fanfare. And I think people were actually a little surprised how good it was. Um, I certainly was. And it's one of those, though, because it's so puzzle-oriented that the replayability really kind of suffers a bit. Um, some of the later um, scenarios and stuff like that, I could see some replayability there. But certainly the first couple are just a little bit too basic to be to be replayed. Um, but I, it, overall, it's a very enjoyable experience. The components, the rules, everything is, the whole production is fantastic. And it's a very solid uh, mechanical 
experience with like I think the right amount of difficulty and all that kind of fun stuff, the right amount of puzzliness, everything like that. But again, not something I really want to ever sit down and go through again, just because I don't think there's much in the way of replayability once you finish the campaign. So yeah, so there's not much more to that, but I just want to give a shout out to that because that's the game that's kind of disappeared, I think, sort of from the uh, consciousness of, of, of people. I don't, I don't ever really hear it or see it being talked about or anything like that, um, but I would recommend it. I think you can get it relatively cheap these days. I'm not sure, um, but yeah, that's Mechs versus Minions. I would definitely recommend it. It's, it's a good romp all the way through. Okay, so the number eight would be kind of a series. It's the Unlock series. And they keep coming out with new ones. I think there must be at least a couple of dozen. They have like Star Wars ones now and all kinds of different ones. Um, but again, these games are not able to be replayed. Because once you play through it, it's like playing through an escape room, but it's more app driven. And you get the unlock app and, you know, you get open up the, the case or the scenario, play through it. It's about an hour. Once you get through it. You know, you're done. You, you don't play it again because you'll know all the answers to the puzzles. But they're great. I think I think all of them that I've played are great. I've played probably four of them. Something like that. Nowhere near all of them. And I would definitely play other ones in the series. I've not played like the Star Wars ones. There's a Star Wars box that comes with, I think, three scenarios. Uh, I like Star Wars, so I would like to play that. Um but yeah, you, like I said, you don't go back and replay them. But they're excellent. They're excellent. They're, I've always had a good time with them. It's it's a really tense kind of experience because they're, you're on, you're kind of on a timer. Uh, it's very thought provoking because the you know uh, different puzzles and things that you have to solve are very interesting. That always generates a lot of very interesting discussion uh, at the table about how to solve the different sort of little clues and things like that. The whole app input thing is very kind of ingenious where, you know, the puzzles invariably will generate like a number or something else like that you have to kind of input into the app and solve. So it's able to kind of handle things very generically that way. But it all kind of comes together in a cool way, which is just like an escape room, right? Because at the end of the day, when you're doing an escape room, you're putting these puzzles together to like unlock some lock or something that's in the room. And so the unlock games... <laughs> uh, they do that, and it's great. And I recommend, you know, probably any of them. I, like I said, I haven't played all of them, but all the ones that I've played, I've had a great time with. Anyway, so that's number eight, the Unlock series. Uh, number seven is Forgotten Waters. Now, this is a game that came out, I think, three years ago. It came out during 2020, I think, right at kind of the height of COVID. And it was kind of like the perfect sort of lockdown COVID game. Uh it's because it had it's an app-driven game, another app-driven game that you could sort of play online. And I actually played this with uh, some of my friends at the time. This was because it was like early lockdown, early COVID thing. And some of my friends out of state, so I I put a camera down. I would show the the book because you play the game out of a book that shows kind of the map and stuff. And then I'd have the app up, and then you know we'd be playing that remotely. And it just worked perfectly. It was fantastic. Like this is a serendipitous kind of game that that actually worked great playing remotely with the actual physical components. Uh, now setting that aside, it's a very interesting uh, sort of six scenario. Not really a campaign, but there's six scenarios that you can play through, and there is some replayability to those scenarios. I would say, but you know, it after playing through all six. I didn't really feel like I wanted to, and, and playing a couple of them multiple times, I should say. Um, you know, so I, I think my total number of plays is probably, probably around 10. Because I played definitely the first one like three times, and then the second one like twice, and then some of the others only once. I might have played like, you know, one of the others twice. Um, but after playing through it, you know, let's say about 10 times, maybe you could get a dozen plays out of it then I would say, yeah, I didn't really feel like I wanted to play it too much again. And the reason for that is is not so much like you finished a campaign, but each of the scenarios has kind of a strong sort of narrative angle to it. And once you kind of play through that, you know, there'll be like certain things like 
one of them is, and I'm a little bit hesitant because the game's been out a few years, but let's say one of them is to go fight this big beast. I'll just be kind of generic about it. And so once you do that, it's like, okay, so I kind of know what that, that one kind of entails. Whereas this one is like, um, and some of this I'm not just making up because I've actually forgotten, but you know, it was like, oh, sail to this funny island, you know, and go get this treasure, let's say. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So once you kind of do that, like the overall gist of the scenario is kind of the same, but there is some kind of interesting sort of character arcs that can be different between the plays uh, because you have sort of ways that you can interact with, you know, uh, like the captain of the ship, let's say, and you have um, this whole, like the whole character creation part of it is pretty cool where you kind of smash together a left and a side and a right side. And honestly, this part I'm forgetting, but it's like the, you know, I'm just going to say the ambidextrous monkey or the, the really stern, you know, uh, nun, you know I mean? I'm just making this stuff out top of my head. So you, or the ambidextrous nun and the stern monkey or the whatever, you know, so you, you combo like all these different aspects and traits of a character and you get like this constellation thing that was is like the way that you upgrade like your little internal tech tree which is very cool so all these kind of neat just crazy elements that just go together in this very strange way that you can sort of tinker around the edges of the narrative nuance right with all that stuff that makes it somewhat replayable i think just to kind of give you different aspects of it and you know and just lots of cool mechanics um it's basically like a worker placement co-op and you've got like this pirate ship that you're, you know, controlling and you're loading the cannons and fighting stuff or going on little adventures and some of the worker placement things or with the little narrative quest text and all that. But yeah, it's a great game and I recommend anybody uh, get it. It's really cool, very piratey themed, a little bit of sort of mystical fantasy types of elements, of course, to it. Um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend Forgotten Waters. All right, so number six is Freedom the Underground Railroad. And so this is a, a co-op game. It has a very kind of pandemic vibe to it. And what the subject matter of this game is, is that you are trying to, uh, you're working on the Underground Railroad in the uh, late era of slave ownership in the United States, trying to help slaves escape to the north and even up into Canada. Um and try to help them avoid the slave catchers. And at the same time that you're doing that, you're also trying to work kind of on the uh, on the backside to pass, you know, anti-slavery legislation. And so this is a great game. I've probably played it seven, eight times, maybe, maybe more than that. It's been a long time since I played it, probably almost 10 years. And it's great. It's a great co-op solid design. Obviously the subject matter is extremely heavy and um like the on a, on a human level that's a tough thing to want to sit down and say let's play a game about and, and it's it's tricky to even say this so it's like let's play a game about slavery that's it's not about slavery it's about freeing slaves so but just jumping into that topic it's not like that's not like a fun evening right so that's tricky and i think that's why this is one of those where i've played it enough and it's an excellent game and I would recommend everyone play this game because it is just it's a very interesting experience it's a very kind of moving experience because some of the things some of the decision making as you're trying to win the game about where to sort of spend your resources and spend your time so the effectively you can win you know you're going to have to leave certain people behind you're going to have to like ignore certain sort of legislative parts of the game in favor of other things to kind of make the most efficient use of your actions so you can do the most good. And so that's a tough place to be in. And the game really kind of sells that in a way as like, look, look how difficult this was. Look how terrible this was that we needed people to even have to step up and do this. Like why, you know, the whole time I'm like, why is everybody not on board with this? Why was this a struggle? Why was this not an easy call to get rid of this? That kind of thing, you know, like, you know, whatever. And so the game puts you in that mentality, right? To sort of engage with that. But again, it's like, I don't need to keep engaging with that. You know, once you've played it several times, 
and you kind of get the gist of it and you get the point of it and you get some of those sort of experiences under your belt and hopefully you get to win the game a couple of times. It's very difficult to win actually. Um, you know, you get a couple of wins under your belt, then like how much more do you need to play this game? Uh, yeah. So again, this is a game I would totally recommend to people, but I don't want to play it again. You know, I don't want to put myself in that spot. You know, I'm already angry enough <laughs> walking around and, um, I, I, yeah, I just don't need to be put in that, that mindset any, anymore, but again, recommend it. You know, I think it's a worthwhile investigation. There's some nice historical tidbits to it as well that you can learn a little bit about some of the different things that was going on. Uh, so it's educational in that way. And it's, a, like I said, it's a very solid, difficult to win, but it's a very solid balance. I think good game and fun from the perspective of the challenge of it. Right. So that's, that's why I would recommend it. All right. So that was Freedom Underground Railroad. Now the number five game is Oathsworn. Now Oathsworn is one that I talked about in my top 10 list from 2022. And as the time of this recording, we're a little over halfway through uh, the campaign. So I'm still going to play it. <laughs> we're going to finish the campaign. Uh, that's, that's for sure. Because we really enjoyed it all the way through. I think we played through it 12 times now. And every time we play it, it has been just really, really cool. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the game, it's, it's like a boss battler. You have kind of a, a two-part stage to your gaming sessions. You do some story mode stuff and some little role-playing, light role-playing stuff. And then eventually that story is going to lead into a big boss fight where you fight like a big bad or a group of big bads. And then that's the end of your session and then you kind of play through and it kind of takes you through this somewhat linear uh, narrative story. Although there, there can be some, so a little bit of branching there. And you can play, I think, just like 12 different characters. So you can kind of swap those in and out as you as you feel. Um, because it, it, in the larger narrative, there's a larger group of heroes and, and NPCs that are kind of moving around as a big giant war band. And so you have like this deck of ally cards that you'll build up. And so it, sometimes those will come into play. And so it's it's a large party. It's not just like a party of four you know, characters, there's actually a larger group that's sort of represented. But when you get into the combat, you're really only controlling like the four at once, like the main protagonists of that particular battle. And it's really cool. It's very smartly designed. The, the combat's really cool. You know, it's right up there with any good skirmish game. Uh, the narrative stuff is really good. You want to get the app with the voiceover because that really just helps. You just hit play. And it's the, I can't remember the name of the actor, but it's the actor, one of the actors from Game of Thrones. He played Commander Mormont of the Night's Watch. And yeah, you just sit back to kind of a very relaxing, like 30 minutes or so, of uh, just listening to him, you know, narrate the tale. And it's to, to me, it's always been engaging. You make a couple of choices for certain ways that you want sort of the path to go. You might have some, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but you might have some other mechanics in there in that story mode. And then you jump into a boss fight and then you have that stuff. And this is the, on the list because when we finish it, the more I've played it, I'm like, the less likely I feel like I want to play through it again. But this is one of those where I'm like, never say never, because it does give you option to jump into any battle you want and just play it and kind of set your characters up and it's in an easy way so that they could just jump in and you could replay a battle just from the pure game part of it. And, you know, when, let's say you finish the campaign, you're going to kind of remember the narrative of what, what you got to do that battle. But if you just want to kind of play that tactic side of it, it's going to be possible to play. I just don't know at this point if I'd really want to do that. And earlier on, I would have been like, oh, heck yeah, I would play this again. But as I've gone through it, I'm just not sure I'd want to go back and replay it. But it's excellent. I mean... And this is one that I'll probably, when we finish it, keep and hang on to it. And I could go back into it like in a couple of years. Like if you, if I just shove it in my closet or something and don't look at it, don't even think about it. And then in like three, four years or whatever, get it back out. I'm going to have forgotten like all, most of the story, you know, maybe some of the large arcs and stuff. And there's certain, like I said, there is branching that's possible. So I may, you know, if we played again, it could be like, oh, let's just choose that just because it didn't seem like a good idea at the time, but let's just choose it anyway and see what happens, you know? So it has that aspect to it, but we'll see. It's a tricky one. This is probably the trickiest one, uh, on the list, except for the next one. <laughs> so anyways, that's Oathsworn. Now the number four 
would be Descent Legends of the Dark. Uh, and so, you know, this is the latest Descent game. There's a new expansion coming out at the time of this recording in a couple of months. That's kind of a follow-up to the main campaign. And this is another one where as soon as I was done with the campaign of the first, uh, you know, the, the main box, I really felt like I wanted to go back and play it again. But I think I need to give it time because now as time has kind of moved on, I don't really have the desire to go back and play it again. Uh, I have the desire to play to move to play the next chapter for sure because that that's I'm very curious where the story is going to go now. But you know I don't know this is another one where I think I need to give it a break of some years, and then maybe come back in and play it again and maybe play it with uh, the group in a way. So I think I could maybe live vicariously through them because when I, I when I finished the campaign most of the games were played solo. Now, some of the games was played with others, and that's one of the nice things is you can just, basically, wherever you're at in the story, it kind of dictates which characters you're supposed to use. So we just play it with the you know the group, and then decide, you know, just catch them up like, the story so far is X, and I just explain it, and then we jump in and play a scenario. And that worked out really good. So I think maybe if and when I were to play through this again, I would want to go find people that, you know, hadn't played it and we could play through it and I would be down for that. And I kind of would just let them make some of the more, you know, uh, monumental choices in terms of where the story went. And if it's given enough time, I'll probably will have forgotten it. Uh, so again, this one, Descent, Legend of the Dark and Oathsworn. Yeah, I could probably play these again, but th I think they need to be on this list because I just don't, they're not procedurally generated. And I talked a lot about that in the top 50, but they're both Sworn and Descent Legends of the Dark, they're kind of in that dungeon crawl, you know, sort of genre. Not quite, you know, Oathsworn's a boss battler. Descent Legends of the Dark's a little bit more dungeon crawly, but it's also not. It's also more, it's almost more RPG-ish, tabletop RPG-ish than anything. Um, that you have to, you know, some, some grid movement with, but whatever. I mean, you're not always in a dungeon. Like, sometimes you're outdoors in Descent, and you're, there's all kinds of cool, like, environments and stuff that you can be in that's one of the selling points of the game i think but again it's not like i'm coming back in and i don't know what's going to happen you know like i'm even if i'm excited to kind of play through some of the tactics again in the story eh, i'm kind of doing the same thing i already did whereas some of these other more procedurally generated dungeon crawls then i like he's like i don't know what's gonna happen you know we because we could all die <laughs> you know in the second quest you know you just don't know all right, so that's number four there, Descent Legends of the Dark. Uh, number three is Escape Room the Game. And for pretty much all the reasons uh, that I outlined with the Unlock series is, you know, these are about an hour long. You play through them once, um, and then that's it because you've solved the puzzle. Now, you could also throw on this list the Exit Game series, which I have enjoyed those. I really enjoy the Escape Room the Game games. Those to me are the best of that kind of genre because it has a lot of just more physical elements than like the unlock or even exit has. And it has a really cool, like uh, very analog feeling mechanism that goes with it. Cause you get the base game and it has that like little key thing where you insert the keys and turn things. So you get the tactile experience of it and the puzzles and stuff are really, really neat. And there's been a couple of these. I've only played through the one in the main box there I just played through all of those I haven't tried any of the other expansions and stuff but I would again I would try some of the other you know sort of quests that I haven't done but again you just can't play these more than once you just physically cannot um, now you know thinking about it after I've discussed some of these other games if I gave this like another couple of years or something or even probably not that long I could probably come back and play these after I've forgotten like what the heck the puzzles even were you know Theoretically, it's possible that some solution would come back to me as we were playing. I'd be like, oh, I remember this. Yeah, the answer is six. <laughs> you know? um, but you need to give it time. Again, they're not really meant to be played more than once. So I won't talk too much more about this one, but it's the same reason as Unlock. It's just I really like these. <clears throat> they're very, very ingenious puzzles. And the whole physical physicality of it is just really surprising to me. Uh, and how well it works, and they're able to kind of package that up and, you know, put it into like a product that can be shipped. Uh, you don't actually have to go to a room and play the room. This probably gets the closest, of course, it's called Escape Room the Game. 
but it gets the closest to that experience out of any of these that I've played. <clears throat> All right, so that's number three. Number two is My City. Now, this is a legacy game. It's a Reiner Knizia design. Uh, came out uh, two years ago. Uh, sequel is coming out, which I'm very excited about that. But this is one of those where you're, you know, tearing stuff up. You're drawing on on your boards. You're marking things up. You're putting stickers down. Uh, it's a little of a kind of a Tetris um, sort of domino-looking sort of setup where you're, you know, you're trying to fit these different pieces and shapes into your player board to build little combos of points with different types of buildings and all these kinds of things. And as you play through the campaign, which I, if I recall right, is 12 scenarios, you start to unlock these different special abilities, different ways to score points, and you sort of like evolve your city. You start having like, well, I don't know how much I want to spoil here, but let's say you start adding more mechanics and stuff that in a sense is like sort of going through sort of technological innovations in a way. I mean, it's not directly tied to reality, of course, but it's very abstract, but as you play through these different scenarios and things and you sort of unlock different, you know, new mechanics and scorings. And it's really cool because you basically play through, no, it has to be more than 12 because you basically get envelopes and then there'll be three games within an envelope that will kind of be centered around a theme. And the gameplay is pretty quick, like half an hour or maybe 45 minutes. So you can play through three of them back to back to back in kind of one session. So just play three games in a row because the game's so quick. And then, you know, next time you come back next week or whatever and you play three more as because that's a new envelope that you want to lock and there'll be kind of a new set of mechanics, new sets of scorings. It's kind of centered around kind of a new theme. And this works excellent. This is, other than the next game on the list, probably the perfect legacy game because it makes the right jump at the right time and it really stages you into getting to the more and more complex layers without really ever actually ever being boring at any point. Um, there's always a cool, interesting puzzle to solve and all that kind of stuff. And even the basic simple game you start off with, you're like, oh, this is simple, but you know, it's a fun, it's fun sort of physically to put these pieces together and solve this little puzzle. It's like, okay, cool, I got the hang of this. Let's try the next one. Okay, cool, let's do the next one. And so it gets very addictive in that way. It's like, let's let's just do one more. Let's do one more. Let's do one more. And it works perfectly. It just leads you all the way through it. And it's it's simple enough to, when you start out that it's really like a gateway level, family level game that you can really start, you know, sort of growing the cognition capabilities of whoever's playing it and being like, okay, I understood the basic concepts. Now the next concepts get introduced and they're introduced so slowly enough that it gives you a chance to kind of learn them and then move on to the next one. And so that's really cool. And if I recall, there is actually sort of a, a replayable game, like on the backsides of the boards, that's, it takes place probably not quite halfway through the campaign, but it has enough of those things. So if you wanted to kind of come back to it uh, after you finish the campaign, then you could and kind of replay it. Uh, over and over and over again. But I can't recommend My City uh, enough, uh, for sure. So anyway, that's the second one. So number one, I probably don't want to spend too much time on it. I talked a lot about it in my top 50, uh, particularly when I was talking about it in relation to Defenders of the Realm, which I think was my number nine game on the, my top 10 video. And that's Pandemic Legacy, uh, specifically season one, but I kind of throw Pandemic Legacy season one and season two together. I've not played season zero. Uh, I've got it sitting over there on the shelf. I've had it for a while. I just haven't had the time or just, I want to, I, it's, I'm not getting rid of it until I play it. Cause I've heard people say season zero is their favorite one. I think most people say season one. I, so far season two is my favorite, but barely being out season one. I'm not going to get into why, cause I have to get into spoilers, but yeah, all the things I said in that top 10 video, um, about, you know, I'll try to sum up quickly. Pandemic legacy season one and season two could maybe be my favorite game of all time. Maybe, but I'm not going to play them again. Right. And part of that has to do with, because I think the experience is best left. You could, I could go, you know, pick up another copy of pandemic legacy season one and play through it. And it would probably be an okay experience. Right. But the magic of that first playthrough would not be there. It just would not be there. When the, some of the reveals and some of the things, 
in terms of like, you know, why are we playing this game 12 times in a row? What's the kind of story that's threaded through here and some of the different character developments that you can go through like that, you know, it's, it's in, in a sense spoiled, right. In a certain way. Now I could see people that would, would play it again. I could see people that would, they had so much fun. They'd want to kind of maybe explore different avenues with characters and some other little wrinkles, but I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to leave that experience behind. I want to leave that memory, you know, where it, wherever it is in my brain and let it live there and just leave it there. And I don't want to cut, try to come back to it. To me, that's not what the game was about. It was about playing through it one time and in, in, in a way that is different than you know, reading a story or watching a story in a movie form or something, because it is a story. It's, it's a game and there's mechanics and there's victories and there's losses and there's decisions to be made, but it's also a story. You know, there is a narrative arc all the way through it in a way that's different than, you know, any kind of real narrative, you know, like, like a, like a, I don't my vocabulary is going to fail me, but we're talking about Descent and Oathsworn. Those are narratives that are dictated to you, right? Where Pandemic Legacy, the, the narrative is kind of like revealed through opening boxes and stuff. And there's little flavor texts and things. But the mechanically altered board and characters and stuff becomes the story itself. And that is revealed to you one time. And then you don't get to do it again. And that's that's different than a movie or a book because those you can you can read again. I've read books multiple times. I've seen movies, of course, multiple times. You don't get to live life multiple times. And not to sort of verge into the realm of pretension, <laughs> but the game is kind of like that, right? Like you you get to do it once, and then you you know what you tear up the card, and you sticker the board, and you write on the thing with a pen. And you can't erase it. And so you're done. You did it. And even if, if you played Pandemic Legacy all the way through and you lost six times and you won the other 12, great. If you won all 12 in a row, great. You know, but you did it and now you're done. And that's all there's to it. And that's how it should be. So, again, I think, uh, you know, what people kind of asked for here with you know, hey, make sure you go back through and mention, you know, these games that you'll never play again. I, I, that was cool. I like that people did that, you know, because I really like that people seem to appreciate the fact that I wouldn't list these games there because I'm not going to play them again. You know, my top 50, those are games that are like, yeah, I'll totally break that out. Yeah, let's break that out again. And that's going to shift, you know, some of the games like that are in my, you know, 41 through 50. Those are probably the most susceptible to being kind of falling off the list and getting replaced with other ones. Some of those may go up. You know, Arc Nova, for example, I've played that a lot more um, over the last couple of weeks. And I was like, yeah, this one might, might move up higher. And some of the newer games that were on my list might move up higher. They might move down, you know. Um, but those are games that I'm going to be coming back to and just having fun with and living with them. And, you know, seeing seeing those things kind of evolve in a way. These other ones, I don't know. I don't know if there's really nothing else to see there. Now, the memories are going to sit there. They're going to live there. And they're going to be very great memories. They're going to be fond memories that I look back on, you know, whenever I think about these things. And that's good. They should just sit there. They don't have to, you know. Um, sometimes I'm going to use an analogy that I heard one time. And then maybe this will make, I think it makes sense so far. But I'm going to use one analogy and then we'll leave it there. So sometimes you have, you know, relationships with different people and different events or whatever in life. And if you think of them like a kinky hose, right? So you sometimes you have a hose that's all kinked up and, and scrambled together and you're trying to loosen the hose. So sometimes you can just kind of shake the hose from far away, kind of wiggle it, and the hose will kind of snap out and then the water will start flowing through. And sometimes, though, you have to get up close and personal and you have to, you know, manually untangle the hose and it takes you some more time and you've got to spend more time with it, sort of investigating all the intricacies of how the things, you know, 
wrapped up and all that. So things in life can be like that. So either way, you're getting water coming through at the end, you know, and you're going to be able to water your garden with it. Um, so some of these, you know, you didn't need to spend much time with like an unlock game. You know, I only spent an hour with each of them. And I, like I said, I've played, I don't know, a half a dozen of them or something. And that's it. I didn't, I just shook, shook the hose a little bit and the water came out and my garden was, was, uh, you know, got the sustenance that it needed. Some of these others, you know, like some of the ones on my, my top 50 list, those are ones I'm going to keep coming back to and it's got to spend a little more time with them. So I don't know that probably, everything probably makes less sense now. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's, it's, it's, games are different, man. Like there's no, to me, there's no right way to play these things or experience these things, you know, uh, I'm not going to end on negativity, but there's some comments. I'm pretty, I'm pretty free willing with a machete. Sometimes if somebody gets snarky on my YouTube and I'll delete a comment maybe too easily. Um, but there's some that were like, they're kind of like saying, and I kind of mentioned this in the last, you know, like, Oh, the game, you know, you, why is it this style game or this other style of game? Why are you doing this? You know, I don't want to get too much into that, give that too much air, but it's like, no, these games, there's no right way. There's no right kind of game. That's silly. You know, a lot of these games, these are all great, but I'm not going to play them again. Like, do I have to always play this game for the rest of my life to make it good? That seems like I'm not, the, the games aren't in jail. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, why, why are you forcing me to play a certain kind of game or a certain game over and over? That's jail. Jail's not good. Yeah. All right. So there we go. Thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks for the inspiration, too, as well, to create this list. It was fun. So look for some more reviews and some more good stuff. And thanks, everybody.